Search is evolving. We've seen how Microsoft and Google have been bringing generative AI into their search results. And as a result, we can expect pay-per-click, both search and non-search pay-per-click, to evolve too. In today's episode, we're going to be exploring how pay-per-click can be used to get more eyes on your business in an AI search world. We're going to be talking about how pay-per-click will be used in AI search results and also how you can start using some of the AI tools to create ads as well with some of the dangers and some of the caveats there too. We're going to talk through tons of examples. There's loads of lessons in here. So let's go. And by the way, if you want to watch the video version of this where you actually see the ads that I'm referring to, then you can head over to the Exposure Ninja YouTube channel. But if it's not right for you right now, don't worry, I'm going to talk through all the examples so you don't have to. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing page. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm the founder of Exposure Ninja. We're a digital agency that helps our clients get more leads and sales online. And pay-per-click is a huge part of what we do. So today we're going to be talking about how AI is going to change the world of pay-per-click and how as a marketer, you might want to adapt. Now, first off, with AI, generative AI in particular, inside search results, like when you search for something on Google, you're going to see a generative AI answer. It's very possible that organic website traffic could drop and could drop fairly significantly for some searches, particularly informational searches. Because think about it, if people are searching for, you know, if they've got a question or they need a definition and the AI is creating their answer for them, they might be must, much less likely to then click on a website to go and read that answer because they've already got the answer directly in search results. Now that doesn't mean that we won't be getting traffic at all from, from search results. And actually some of the early Microsoft feedback on their testing proves quite the opposite, but we'll come back to that later on. Nevertheless, we're anticipating an increased interest in pay-per-click from businesses that are maybe seeing a drop in some of their organic traffic. Now, this interest in pay-per-click will be partly um, search ads, so partly paying to get visibility both in the AI generated results in search and on the rest of the search results page. But we're also anticipating that businesses seeing a drop in search traffic overall might be more inclined to be running display ads and going to social media advertising as well. But here's the kicker. Everyone else in their space is likely to be doing the same. So what's going to happen here is that in competition across these pay-per-click channels is going to increase. Then, of course, if we add in the fact that most of these um, advertising platforms now have generative AI ad creation, this lowers the barrier to entry for businesses wanting to run pay-per-click. So again, we've got the opportunity for more businesses to run ads, which of course, all of this is just going to make advertising more and more competitive, which means more and more expensive. So it's going to be crucial that ads are sickeningly good. And we're going to talk about exactly how to do that a little bit later on. So if we just purely rely on the AI to generate our ad creative for us, whether it's text or images, we're going to get very sort of middle of the bell curve ad quality. The key is going to be 
pushing that to the right to make the best possible ads that get the highest click-through rate from the most relevant potential customers. But let's talk about how pay-per-click is going to work in the search results, given that we're going to be having these generative AI answers. Now, Google has shown us, or there's a there's a, a preview that you can uh, you can see the pilot of Google's SGE or Search Generative Experience, which is how Google is going to be building generative AI into its search results. And of course, you can use Microsoft Bing with Bing Chat, which is the Chat GPT uh, sort of uh, thing built into Bing, so it can answer your questions. These are kind of fairly similar. There are some key differences between them, but we're already seeing how advertising will show up in an AI uh, in AI search results. So with Google's example, we are seeing, for example, sponsored product listings, so shopping listings. We're seeing them either appear above the generative AI answer or below. We're also seeing regular Google search ads underneath the generative AI answers. With Microsoft's Bing Chat um, advertising, we are seeing some ads actually being the, the, the citations used in the answer. So one example, if you search for uh, like the cheapest Honda car, for example, this is a tweet from, from Didi on, uh, on Twitter. If you search for cheapest Honda car, the, um, the, the Bing Chat gives you uh, an answer. It gives you an answer and then it has little citations, little links to the source website for that information. Now, some of these are ads, okay? Some of these citation links are ads. Now, there's two things here. Firstly, great, <laughs> okay? Great, we can start picking up some traffic there by bidding on this. But the second thing is, this also tells us that those citations must be getting reasonably decent traffic from this experience. Otherwise, Bing wouldn't be charging advertisers on a pay-per-click basis for this traffic, right? If there's no clicks, there's no pay-per-click. So that tells us that there is a reasonably good click-through rate. And actually, uh, in, a, uh, in a presentation at SMX, which is like a, a search industry conference last week, um, someone senior in Bing, I, I, I forget who, but someone senior in Bing was talking about actually they are seeing an increased click-through rate. They're sending more clicks to both advertisers and organic results as a result of Bing chat than they were before they built the generative AI answers into their, into their search engine. Let me say that again. Bing are saying they're sending more traffic to both advertisers and organic search results than they were before adding the ChatGPT style answers in their search results. So that actually bodes quite well for marketers and businesses that have been reliant on search traffic. Now, of course, we don't know how this will play out over the longer term. We actually don't know how this is going to translate to Google's search results because Google has a very different implementation. It doesn't necessarily cite sources for each of the statements it gives in its answers. What it does instead is it links to websites that corroborate that information. And sometimes that's a little bit patchy. The information that you see in the AI-generated result, you don't find it on the underlying website that's been linked. So that's a little bit patchy. We don't know if we're going to see a similar sort of thing in Google Generative, uh, in Google Search Generative Experience. It's also unclear how much control advertisers are going to have over what appears, what citations uh, they are linked to, and all of that type of stuff. But of course, we will learn more over the coming weeks. From an advertiser's perspective, the most encouraging thing is that both Google and Microsoft will be monetizing the huge costs 
of running generative AI through advertising okay that's the only business model that they seem to be pursuing here is that advertisers are going to be paying for this thing and if advertisers are going to be paying for this thing we need to be getting high quality traffic that is worth the money so we can expect the ad platform side of things to be very very robust here we also know that display ads so these are ads that you see you know across the internet on various different websites can use AI elements. Um, Microsoft, uh, Facebook, Google have all been releasing generative AI ad creative tools that allow, for example, in Google's case, you can like switch out the background in your um, in your ad creative, and then you can still use the ad creative across the Google Display Network outside of search to connect with customers on the websites where they're already spending their time. So this is obviously great for, you know, remarketing, but it's also great for getting your brand out there very quickly across a large number of websites, even if people aren't necessarily searching for you. I don't know if you've seen recently, but the e-commerce brand owned by PDD, uh, the, the Chinese e-commerce powerhouse, Timu. They have been running display ads everywhere. And initially I thought, oh wait, wow, I've, I've obviously been on their site and they're like remarketing and retargeting the life out of me. But no, um, I had a look on uh, the SEMrush ad clarity tool, um, which by the way is absolutely killer. I'm going to talk about this in a little bit more detail later on. But I had a look on the SEMrush ad clarity tool and they have been ramping their spend on display ads significantly and by significantly i mean since the since the start of or since the end of march in the us timu's weekly display ad spend has gone from about $20,000 a week up to over $5 million per week. Now, the reason I'm talking about TB and I'm talking about this huge ramping is the display ads can be a fantastic way of getting a product out to the market very quickly for getting a lot of eyeballs on your product, even if people haven't already been on your website, even if you don't want them to wait, uh, you don't want to have to wait until they're searching for what you do or um, you sell something that they may not have ever considered, so you're not search advertising might not be relevant for you, display ads can be a fantastic way to do this. And Timu is a, a very extreme example. So, all right, how do we start building out the, uh, the, the ad creative and uh, what sort of ad generative AI tools are available to us? Well, we're going to talk about that in a second. But before we do, if you're listening to this thinking, all of this advertising stuff sounds really awesome, but I don't know how well our current ads are performing. I don't know if ads are something that we should be running for our business, or I suspect that our ads aren't performing as well as they could be. Well, you can request a free website and marketing review from the team here at Exposure Ninja. Now, when you do this, when we do your review, if you're running ads, you can tell us a bit about the the ads that you're running and if you're not happy with the performance you can tell us that and we can perform a follow-up to the free review uh, where we'll actually have a look inside your ppc accounts we'll analyze what sort of ad creative you've been using where these ads have been showing how they're performing all that type of stuff and we'll give you very specific feedback on your PPC performance. This is completely free, as is the free website and marketing review. So if you want this, the first thing you need to do is you need to request the free website and marketing review from ExposureNinja.com forward slash review. Then once you've had that review, you'll be able to talk to the marketing ninja who's done it to get this free PPC add-on as well. So go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review to request that. All right, so let's talk about the use of AI tools to create ads because we've seen loads of demos recently 
from companies like Google, where you know, you can basically create ad images very quickly, and you can create lots of different elements. Um, I saw a, a demo this week of someone basically using Canva very programmatically to create Huel style ads. So they put in ChatGPT, like find me a whole bunch of different potential uh, USPs for my business and ChatGPT just pumped out a bunch of generic sort of USPs. They then uploaded this as a spreadsheet into Canva and quite quickly produced loads of different ad images using all of these different USPs. And obviously the goal there would be then to run all of these ads and see what gets the best traction with your customers. Now it's a very expensive way of testing USPs compared to say, you know, testing them with a much smaller data pool of your actual best customers and just talking to them to find out which ones are going to be performing best. But we see a lot of this type of thing where because the AI allows you to produce ad creative at scale, the temptation is, right, well, let's just, you know, rather than creating five different ad creatives to test, why don't we create 10,000 and just pump all of them out there? And yes, it's very tempting to do that. It's also very tempting to think that, wow, I can change the background of my moisturizer image from a beach to a cityscape using AI. Fantastic. My ads are going to perform so much better. Well, yes and no, right? Because just because you can create an ad image using generative AI doesn't necessarily mean that that ad image is going to perform well. After all, the highest performing ads aren't necessarily the ones that look the most polished. We also need to keep in mind whenever we're talking about using generative AI to create ads that pay-per-click is a market economy. It's essentially a zero-sum game, right? The click-through rate on your ads is going to be relative to the click-through rate of other people's ads. So if everyone has access to the same generative AI tools, if everyone is replacing the background of their moisturizer with a cityscape and a beach rather than a bathroom, then we're not expecting your ads to all of a sudden massively outperform and get 65% click-through rate because every ad is going to be doing exactly the same. So because all of the ad networks are essentially is like an auction system, click through rate one impact uh, is one uh, sort of lever that you have to play with or, or try and influence in order to uh, influence the amount that you can bid. So everyone's ads are going to be performing exactly the same with the same tools. This is why ad click through rate hasn't really changed or e commerce conversion rate is another example every e-commerce store has significantly improved usability, the quality of product pages. Think of all the work that's gone into e-commerce over the last 20 years. And yet e-commerce store conversion rate is actually dipped slightly. <laughs> Makes you wonder why are we doing all of these things? Well, we're doing all of these things because the bar keeps raising and generative AI ad creation isn't going to create you great ads. It can create you in the middle of the bell curve good ads for sure. And if you're used to creating ads which are significantly worse than your competitors, well, guess what? This thing is going to help you catch up to become, you know, a five out of 10, a six out of 10 ad but it's not necessarily going to get you to the real top level. So how do you actually create great ads? What are the components of great ads? Well, I'm going to share a whole bunch of tips uh, from the team here that they've compiled. The last one is going to maybe potentially blow your mind in a very mini way, um, or maybe in a massive way. I don't know. Uh, the first thing to do, obviously, is start with competitor research. Now, I know we talk a lot about competitor research in the podcast and videos, but we do that for a very good reason. And that is that you can't make the best ads for your audience without knowing what's already out there and what's working well. If your audience is used to seeing a particular type of ad for your products and services, you need to have that in mind. You need to have that type of ad in mind so that when you're creating an ad, 
you're making something which people want to actually click on. You don't exist in isolation, right? No ad exists in isolation. Remember, it's a market economy. It's a zero-sum game, whatever you know, whatever term you want to use for it. So the first thing that we'll do whenever we're creating ads is for search ads, for example, pay-per-click, you know, Google ads, we will search for the target keywords and see what else is coming up. We're looking at where they're appearing, top or bottom of the page. Are they shopping ads? Is it text ads? What does Google think the intent of the page is? And which ads does Google want to serve for this search? We'll also look at the text that's being used as well as any ad extensions like click to call. Which landing pages is the ad taking people through to? Which USPs are being highlighted in the ad? So for example, a search for business tech support uh, returns an ad that highlights that this business is local. They're partnered with over 100 local businesses, which is obviously massive credibility and social proof. Uh, it also touches on some pain points like stressed, frustrated, want technology that works. Well, I can tell you from talking to IT support customers, those are exactly their pain points. And then the headline includes the fact that the business offers fast and friendly IT support, which is again, what people want. People don't want to be thinking about IT support. They want IT support, but they never want to think about it. It's a bit like insurance. Now, this ad also includes links off to four different pages, depending on the, you know, the searcher's needs, including business IT support, IT security, having links, you know, having site links in your search ad, is, can be really beneficial because it means that the path to conversion is much more straightforward. People can click straight through to the page that they want without having to hunt around on the uh, on the on the links website. So you want to get this sort of insight about your space, about your competitors before you're creating your ads. You want to see just from a searcher's perspective what are the things that would make you click on one ad versus another. Okay, so what about shopping ads? Um, if you know, shopping ads, you know, the little product uh, images, you know, shopping, that's right. <laughs> um, if shopping ads are appearing for your search, we need to think about the imagery that's used. Now, sometimes we talk to a client and they're like, yeah, we want to sort of push the boat out with our product images. We want to use like super creative images in our shopping ads. Well, there's definitely some times when doing something different to stand out can be a really good move in digital marketing. But for some shopping searches, it won't always work. If you search for something like, I'm looking at the ads for best trainers for kids, for example, and pretty much all of the images are side-on pictures of a single shoe. It allows you to really easily directly compare the different shoes and that's kind of what people want right we know that's what people want because these are the ads that are showing so they're going to have the highest click-through rate because they're going to be making the most money for google if you approach this with like yeah we want to show a real like strong close-up of the laces or we want to show a kid off in the distance gallivanting around in these shoes well that's not the sort of thing that's going to get clicks so you know play the game <laughs> in some ways now display or social ads um, there's a few ways of doing competitor research on these, a few different ways of, of, of seeing what else is out there. Of course, you can just visit other ads, uh, sorry, visit the sites where these ads would typically appear. You can spend time on the social channels uh, where you're most likely to see them. You can visit your competitor sites and then go on Facebook so you can see they're remarketing, they're retargeting ads. But most of the time, you want to be a little bit more sophisticated with this. And you can actually use a couple of cool tools to do this sort of competitor analysis. So the first tool is the good old Facebook ad library or the meta ad library, but obviously you use it on Facebook. So go to facebook.com forward slash ads forward slash library. You can type in any advertiser and you can see all of their ad creative. You can see it by country. You can see how long it's been running. You can see the platforms. Um, where these ads are running on and you can see how many different ads use this creative and text. Now this is really useful if you want to establish which of your competitors are actually running ads on social 
Um, this can also be useful because you can see when these ads started running and whether or not they're active or inactive. The reason that this is useful is if you can see that an ad has run for a long period of time, chances are that ad's working. Unless the company is just totally asleep and they're running ineffective ads, that's usually a good sign that, hey, this thing must be working, otherwise they wouldn't have been plowing money into it for six months or whatever. Um, but there is another tool which is even more useful for this type of thing, and that is the ad clarity tool that I mentioned earlier. So ad clarity, and you can, uh, we've actually got a, uh, I had a play with this, um, Semra showed me it, and I've said this is unbelievable. Um, it's it's one of the most, in many ways, it's the holy grail of competitor ad research, because it shows you not just the ads that your competitors are running on display channels and on social media, but it also shows you how much they're spending. So project how much they're spending on these ads, how that's changed over time and all sorts. So if you thought the Facebook ad library was good, you're going to absolutely love ad clarity. Now, the thing is, we negotiated with them to get a, a free trial of ad clarity. So you can go to exposure.ninja forward slash WTF for cheeky because it's so good. Um, and you can see that you can sign up for a free trial of ad clarity. Um, I think the free trial might only be seven days or something, but you know, you can get a huge amount of insight in seven days. You can start playing with this. You can throw all of your competitors in, see what their ad history is like. It really is awesome. So what you can do with this, as well as seeing how much they're spending in, uh, you know, on, on social media, you can also see the display ads that they're running as well. And you can see the sort of copy that they're using. You can see uh, how many different products they're promoting. You can see the angles that they're taking. You can see the imagery that they're using. So I'm just on a page here looking at Timu's display ads. I can see that they've obviously ramped their um, their display ad spend up to $5 million a month. So if I'm competing with Timu, I can see exactly what their strategy is here. But I can also see the products that they're promoting. I can see how much they've spent on each of these ads. I can see how much, how many impressions each of these ads has had. And I can see how long these ads have been running. So I can see one of them here that's been running since September 2022. So it's been running almost an entire year. It's had 27 million impressions and they've spent $70,000 on it through the Google Display Network promoting this one single pair of shoes. Now, if I'm competing with Timu, I'm thinking, all right, great. So they've tested that. That They're unlikely to be running that unless that is generating significant revenue from them. And by the way, these shoes cost $5.15. That's for men's shoes, right? It's the sort of thing where you think, oh, maybe the decimal point's in the wrong place. No, it's not. $5.15 pair of shoes. I'm expecting that they're nowhere near breaking even on this upfront. This will definitely they'll be going negative on the first purchase, but their goal is get loads of app downloads, get the Timu app showing up in the app store, and of course, get people using this site. And then eventually, you know, they don't have to, maybe the shoes won't be $5 forever, they might be $6, $7, and eventually they'll be in a position where they can start making some profit from this. So it's a very aggressive strategy, and it's the sort of thing that you can really diagnose easily using this tool. So exposure.ninja forward slash WTF if you want to have a play with this. Um, going back to the ad library, though, uh, Jess, our, our researcher and, uh, and writer, found a great example with Zero, the accounting software, where they've been running a bunch of ads on Facebook and Instagram promoting the Zero partner company. So this is accounting software for small businesses, but they also have relationships with a bunch of accountants, I think. And these accountants then sell uh, Zero into the companies that they work with. Now, Zero have 
they set up a whole bunch of different ads uh, to promote their partner program. But a lot of these ads stopped running after a week. So they spent a bit of money on them and then they just stopped running them. But some of them continued to run. So if I'm a competitor of zero, I'm looking at these ads and thinking, okay, what was it about the ads that are continuing to run which I can learn from. What's the difference between these two? Because the ones that failed, you know, they're not going through the effort of creating a video, doing these sort of case studies, only to just turn the ads off in a week. That is a failure. But some of these ads are still running like seven, eight months later. So I want to make sure if I'm going to be taking influence from some of these ads, I want to make sure I'm taking influence from the winners. But I'm also looking for what are the potential mistakes they made with the ones that no longer run so that I can avoid those. I can learn from my competitors' mistakes. Now, of course, it's important to remember your competitors' ads aren't perfect. So don't copy their format exactly and you know hope for the same success. Because of course, also remember what we said earlier. If your competitors have, been, if your customers have been seeing ads from your competitors over a long period of time, they may have become fatigued to that particular ad style. So you don't want to come along here and be ignored just because you've created ads that your competitors have, you know, saturated your uh, your customers' minds with. And that means that you're getting ignored because they're assuming that you're the same thing. Okay, right. So let's talk about some of the commonalities that you'll probably find when you're doing competitor analysis and thinking about creating copy. So is your text succinct and to the point? Are you highlighting what makes you unique? Maybe you've got great customer service, good warranty, free shipping. Is your product made from sustainable materials? Are you winning awards? Are you endorsed by a celebrity? Is there loads of credibility like social proof? Sometimes you find an ad which does absolutely none of these and it can be really interesting. So for example, I'm in uh, I'm in Samrush having a look at a uh, you know, food delivery, uh, the food delivery space, like these meal subscription boxes. And I noticed that um, a business, Gusto, that operates in the UK, they're running an ad for the food subscription keyword. Now, that's kind of interesting ad to run because Augusto, you're cooking your own meals. Maybe food subscription means something else. I don't know. It's quite a broad term. But the most interesting thing about this ad is if I have a look at the ad copy that they're running, it says 60% off your first uh, Gusto uh, box, 60% off use code, and then there's a voucher code. And then the ad creative, the text, uh, the description just says order using code Gusto off and get 60% off your first box, 25% off all boxes for two months. There is nowhere in this ad copy that tells me what Gusto is. Now that's interesting. And if I'm competing against that, I'm thinking, okay, is that because people know this brand already, they don't need to reiterate what they do? Or is this a complete mistake? Or does that just tell me that this market is all about massive cost savings? And unless I can compete on price, I'm not going to be getting those clicks. Okay, so when you're doing this sort of analysis, have a think and have a look at the text creative that your competitors are using. What benefits are they highlighting? Or are they like this, just going straight in for we're all about discounts? Let's talk about some other examples of good ad copy, though. Um, an ad for a staff training platform. Uh, this is a um, piece of software called Totara, I believe. Let me just check. I'm looking at the right one. Yes, Totara. Um, really, there's a lot of elements of this ad that are really good. So the, the keyword has been employee training platform. The headline of the ad is number one employee training platform, easily track employee training. Now, using number one in the headline is pretty good, right? There's some other ads here that say the number one learning management system, whatever. 
you can use number one and you can kind of get away with it, really. <laughs> I don't think anyone's checking. I'm not that I'm doubting that Totara is not the number one, but, you know, it's very difficult to check. By what measure are they number one? Who knows? Anyway, the number one ad, huge credibility from that, even if the uh, the location of that credibility is potentially dubious. The description is also succinct. It says streamline onboarding, retain talent, grow customer and partner networks, all with Totara. Discover why Totara is the most top rated talent management platform demo today. No beating around the bush. They're not wasting space with like and or commas or anything like that. It's all just bullet point factual statements. Now, the demo today is a very clear sort of call to action. As an as a searcher, I'd know exactly what I'm going to be getting on that landing page. And indeed, when I go through to the landing page, the CTA is schedule a demo. Very, very straightforward, very simple. And they're echoing the number one thing the number one usp or the number one feature on the landing page as well so we've got that consistency between the ad copy and the landing page happy job happy job good job or happy days or a bit of both happy job um let's talk about visuals though so maybe you're not running search ads maybe you're running display and social ads well in that sort of world the visuals that you're using the images and the videos are incredibly important so like we said, don't just copy your best competitors' visuals because they may have ad fatigue. They may have saturated the uh, the customer base with the look of their ads. And if you just piggyback on that, you may not get the clicks that you're hoping for and you may not get the clicks that they used to get before they started saturating. Instead, it's better to look at the elements of the image or video and take inspiration from the parts that you like best. Now, one of the great things that you can do here uh, and one of the things a lot of PPC marketers will do is keep a swipe file. So a swipe file is the folder of screenshots that you've got of the ads that you like the most. Okay, so you might see these as you're out and about on your travels, you might, um, you know, you might go and hunt them out in the ad library or using ad clarity or SEMrush or whatever, you might go and hunt out some of these examples. And when you do, you just take a screenshot of them and stick them in your swipe file. That way, when it comes time to create your ads, you're not starting from a blank canvas. You can have a flick through all of the ads that you can see. And that sort of, I find anyway, that that sort of primes me. And then I have a bit of sort of ready to go inspiration for creating or briefing the ads. Now, we talked earlier about how high quality sort of polished professional looking ads aren't always the way to go. And on social media, we see this particularly starkly. Um, Jess has found a fantastic example here. Uh, on the Betty Berry Instagram page where they've got an ad here which is it's basically uh, someone in what looks like in their garden or in a park wearing the clothing and this is a very non-professional image okay if I was going to critique this from a composition point of view I'd say the feet are cut off I'd say the lighting is too harsh it's too sunny the sun is very direct which has meant some really harsh shadows and some really but the whole point is this isn't supposed to look like a studio shoot. We all have this inbuilt ad filter. So as we're scrolling through social media, as we're scrolling through Instagram, something that looks like an ad, we tend to scroll past, okay? This doesn't trigger the ad filter because it looks like a normal image that we would see in social media. This means that we linger on this image a little bit longer, the only thing that gives away that this is an ad is the fact they've got the sponsored tag at the top and the shop now CTA. But other than that, I'm lingering on this so that I can see the copy, I can see the number of likes, I can start seeing some of the comments. So by 
sort of flying under the radar with this type of UGC, you can do pretty well. This type of organic post though, this organic type of, of image, this user-generated content style thing, isn't necessarily the sort of thing that AI does best. And what we expect is that similar to how people are, you know, people have developed a sort of ad blindness, and this has existed, you know, since the dawn of time, you, the studies on ad blindness for people reading newspapers, you know, 100 years ago, and it's exactly the same with social media, we all develop a sort of ad blindness. And similar to that, we're expecting that this style of ad that the generative AI tools build, for example, the moisturizer where they've subbed out the cityscape for the beach, it looks like AI and it doesn't, it feels too polished. It doesn't feel real. And we're expecting that the blindness that people have towards those sorts of images will actually increase over time. So whilst these sorts of AI tools can be really useful and, you know, ChatGPT great for brainstorming ideas and bouncing off different, you know, different concepts. Um, I would really caution you against going too hard into just pure AI ad creation because it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like the sort of content that people go on social media for. Okay, AI ramble aside, let's get into the final step of PPC. And I'm doing air quotes for final because it's not really the final step. And that is testing. Testing is the lifeblood of PPC and that won't change with AI. You're going to be testing different formats of ads on different platforms. You're going to be tweaking imagery, tweaking wording, highlighting different USPs, constantly refining to see what resonates, what gets the highest impressions, what gets the highest clicks, and of course, what gets you the best cost per acquisition. Now, the reason this isn't really the final step is you'll never stop testing this. One of the, you know, one of the, the realities of running pay-per-click, the ads that are running well for you today might not be running so well for you in a couple of weeks time, or even, you know, a few days time, if you're running at really high budgets, because you do get ad fatigue, people start seeing the same ad and stop responding to it. It's why Netflix rotates the thumbnails on its, uh, you know, on its on its shows. So testing is just going to be your natural state for the rest of your life as a pay-per-click marketer. Uh, now, I did mention a bonus tip that may or may not blow your mind. And that is, okay, forget everything that we've said so far. Forget everything that we've said about pay-per-click. Because sometimes going totally against the grain is the way to stand out in the world of busy pay-per-click ads. And this, it, it, weirdly, this can particularly be true in spaces where a lot of advertisers are really studying each other and they're learning and taking influence from each other. And what ends up happening is the ads that they're producing in a certain space end up feeling quite generic. They feel end up feeling quite similar to each other. So sometimes going completely against the grain and something totally different can be the way to go. And this is why we often encourage businesses in our videos and whatever to, to take influence from other sectors. If you're looking at, you know, let's say you're an e-commerce business. Well, why don't you get really into how uh, B2B firms are using account-based management, uh, account-based marketing and using LinkedIn ads and driving people to lead magnets? Because there might be some lessons and learnings in there that you can apply to your B2C e-commerce or vice versa. Say you're a software company. Maybe there are lessons from uh, directing to consumer fashion brand that you might be able to take tweak a little bit and apply it in the world of software that people have never seen. My most successful display ad ever used an image that had absolutely nothing to do with the product that it was promoting. My most successful search ad ever had a headline, don't buy this until you read 
this, where I say, don't buy, I actually forgot what the product was, but don't buy product until you've read this, which is a completely counterintuitive type of ad to run. So we often encourage our PPC team to, you know, set aside some budget to play and to experiment and to do some sort of counterintuitive things. Now, of course, whenever you're going completely against the grain, there's the danger that this doesn't work at all and that that budget is wasted. But don't think of it as wasted budget, think of it as testing budget. And as long as you're only testing with the sort of budget that you can afford to lose, this sounds like investment advice, doesn't it? Well, it kind of is, then you're okay. And every so often you'll find something which is totally counter that works really well. Let's not forget, for example, that Duolingo exists. If you've been on TikTok, you may well know Duolingo. So Duolingo used to be a pretty sort of straight face learning languages app. And then on TikTok, this thing has happened where it's become a bit of a cultural phenomenon. They've got this life-size, no more than life-size, like human-sized owl mascot thing that runs around doing horrendously inappropriate things and making lewd comments all about like Duolipa. And on paper, this sounds like commercial suicide. If you imagine pitching that to the board, it's not going anywhere. But it's really helped Duolingo. So sometimes being completely different can work. And uh, yeah, you'd never guess it. But that sort of stuff only comes from experimentation and having the freedom. So search is evolving and changing. So is pay-per-click. This just means new opportunities for businesses that want to put in the work. We're going to have opportunities to get seen in generative AI results. We're going to have opportunities to sponsor the citation links in a AI-generated search result. That concept didn't exist a year ago. So as long as you keep focused on the customer, you keep focused with what's going on in the space, we'll keep you updated on the Exposure Ninja podcast, and you keep testing and understanding what your customers need and understanding what about your product or service resonates with them, you will see success. Thank you for tuning in. Until next week, see you soon.